Welcome to Not Your Mama's Relief Society podcast, where we are kicking the culture to the curb and embracing real talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what, you are welcome here. So put your differences aside, pull up a chair, and let's talk about the kind of love he taught us. All right, friends, welcome back. So Julie and I are here today to talk about something that is important a little bit hard and we're still going to bring some humor to it because that's one of the ways that I deal with life is to find the funny and Julie's the same way. So today we are talking about five things divorce taught me about marriage. Julie, are you ready for this? I'm excited. I'm very, very excited to for everybody to get to hear a little bit more of your rawness and your heart and your spirit and the growth, the amazing growth that you've made. I'm excited. I'm excited oh. to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for everybody to like, yeah. I don't know. It's fun <laughs> to like draw back the curtains a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is a topic that like, let's get real church is a ma- I mean, marriage is a majorly important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like, it's really hard to navigate it. So I'm glad right. that we're taking it on and talking about it and you know, what it looks like in all forms. So totally. I, I'll be honest, friends, I have some fear and some stuff coming up because like this is going to be really raw and vulnerable and I haven't really talked super openly on like a platform about some of these things. And in fact, Julie and I a while ago had talked about um, my desire to kind of speak up and talk about more things, but to be sure to not talk badly about anyone and to not throw anybody under the bus and to not have any like shade thrown on anyone. Yeah, because- you're both- your yeah. goal is to honor all parties, but still be yes. able to speak to even the trauma or the trials of what divorce is. Like divorce is full of trauma and trials and difficulty and, but, you know, to also honor all people involved. hundred percent. So, yes. Yeah. So please know that going into this conversation as you're listening, especially if anybody like knows me personally or whatever, please know that Julie and I have really been prayerful and thoughtful and have talked at length about this before we even dove into this episode that we wanted to make sure that that is um, my number one priority that I love everyone involved. I really do. Even some of the people that I struggle with, I do love them. So just know that that is the basis of this conversation is so much love for everybody involved because everyone's hurting. When you come into a divorce situation, all parties are hurting. Even like my family and my ex's family, like everyone is hurting. My kids are hurting. So it's a painful time for everybody and that I do have love and compassion for everyone involved. So well, with and that, the truth, go ahead. The truth and the beauty of that is that through any trial with the most pain comes our most like, like our best growth too. Totally. So it's good. Like it's really a very valuable part after a trial or even during a trial to kind of assess like, what am I learning? What am I doing? What's going on? Where is my head? Where's my heart? Where's my spirit? So I'm just proud of you. I feel like you have taken, you know, some really difficult trials and you've grown so much and like you deserve to be able to share this. So I am very grateful. I just love you. Well, and as a lot of you know, Julie and I have been friends since we were 16. So she's definitely watched all of the growth, right? Like she's watched me through multiple unhealthy relationships and has watched me overcome some interesting challenges. So it's, it's means a lot to me to hear you say that because you have been here with me through 
all of it. So I love you for that. And that's why yeah, even I our, wanted like, her to be here for this. Even our most like difficult relationships, which really start with like our parents, right? Like you and I were babies when we met each other. So like, right. <laughs> we see a lot of like this stuff. We'll go, oh, I see where that baggage comes from. <laughs> yep. You're like, oh yeah. Witness we that firsthand. Even, yeah. Yeah. Starting relationships that are difficult, but I love it. So I challenged Annie as we were talking about this and trying to decide like how best to kind of navigate this. I said, why don't you try and just break down some of the lessons? And I love this because she sent me this like beautifully concise list. And I think we're going to be able to kind of delve into it. And you thought of like five things that divorce has taught you about marriage, which I love, like just even the thought of that. What divorce has taught me about marriage? That's a very good lesson to learn. If and right. for sure, if you're looking into wanting to get to have another one, right? Like, yeah, you want to totally. learn from all of the things. So I love it. So you tell I love me it. you want to jump in. To Let's do one. it. Okay, number one. The honestly, when I when Julie asked me to do that, it really helped clarify. And the very first thing that came to my mind was the truth that marriage doesn't make you feel lovable. It doesn't. I've been married twice. And it did not solve that problem. So I'm here to tell you that that's not the solution. It's just not. It it never will be. And I I really have learned that seeking other people's approval is a black hole. I tried for a very long time. So just take my word for it that it doesn't work. And if you... you, You would say part of what you were looking for from the beginning was someone that might even love you. And what... In the movies, it almost feels like someone's going to love you unconditionally. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So explain that. Like, as you're looking back on those relationships and you're seeking, you would say that that was because in some way you were lacking some self-love. Oh, 100%. Like, all growing up, I I really, I mean, I've been battling beliefs of not being enough, like, my entire life. Even as a young girl, I really, I got it in my head, which... We all have those opportunities to make those beliefs when we're kids. And when we're kids, we don't have as much context or tools or learning. Like, we just don't know. So something happens, someone says something, and we attach to some meaning about it. And from a very young age, I latched on to, like, not being enough, not being lovable. Like, even as a toddler. Like, I've this has been my entire life. And so I got into teenagehood and really felt this, like, black hole of, I'm not lovable. And I was seeking everything around me to try to fill that. And again, Julie was there for that. I, when I was a teenager, I was engaging in things that I wouldn't have made those choices. I don't believe had I really had a core confidence in myself, because I know now looking back, I was seeking for that approval. I thought if I gave myself to them, if I did whatever they wanted, then I would feel loved because they would love me if I did what they wanted. So I was seeking that place for a long time that's what I mean like I've been seeking other people's approval for a very long time and I've compromised myself over and over and over again seeking their approval so of course I got into marriages where I was looking to feel lovable right like it's understandable but it wasn't healthy and so I found relationships that confirmed the beliefs that I had yeah so being able to have like a very strong understanding that like when you find your partner, this will not solve any of those aches within you. No, it won't. So you would challenge girls if they're like moving forward and they're about to like get into a relationship, check yourself, make sure you've got some really good self-love. What else? How would you kind of pose that then? As so of what you should do. 
Well, and, and here's the thing is that like, we are all free to make whatever choices we want to make, right? I just, I would encourage and invite anyone if whether you're married or not, because even if you are married and you're not feeling this like sense of wholeness, I want you to think of it as creating partnership from a place of wholeness, meaning you, instead of needing to fill you, wanting to create a life with a partner. Yeah, there's different beliefs. Yeah, there's an idea of like two halves make a whole. And you're like, no, 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 no. No. Two holes make a great partnership. (laughs) Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, There's this really good book. um, Shel Silverstein's little picture book. And it's called The Missing Piece in the Big O. And it is a short little picture book, but it describes that concept. This missing piece was looking for a place it fit. And it couldn't, it didn't fit anywhere. And so the little piece just started flopping over, just, you know, moving along, flopping over. He kept moving those pieces rounded out and he was rolling totally on his own. And then he found this other, he found the big O and he's like, Hey, and like, you know, asking like if I can fit with them. And he's like, no, but you can roll beside me. And they rolled on together. Like it was such a cool way for me and my brain to understand that like, yeah, it's not a, this, you know, and you're right. Culture and media kind of gives this idea of like, you know, you're missing half or, you know, you complete me. And it's like, no, you freaking don't, <laughs> you yeah. don't actually. And it sets us up for failure. It really does. I was very disappointed to find out that I can't feel lovable just because I got married. Like that's internal work that I have to do. Yep. And And honestly, I think I really do think it took being in those unhealthy relationships for me to get it because I wasn't getting it right. I just kept finding a new unhealthy relationship and finding another one. And then I find another one and I have kids with that person. And here I am in this relationship and I'm like, this isn't working. Yeah. Why isn't this still like, filling me why isn't this doing what it needs to do right because here's the thing too is that satan is so good at little lies right that are like half truths so it's like well you're supposed to get married that's what i'm supposed to do okay but that doesn't mean that you know what i mean like there's not this other piece of well i have to do that because i have to have them fulfill me that's not the same thing as i know who i am i am rock solid in my divinity and I'm going to create something because I want to further my growth and knowledge. Marriage is a place for knowledge and growth. It is not a, like, ha- happily ever after is not a myth, right? Like, yeah. you create the happily ever after because you work together. But you don't just wake up and, like, get married and then be like, oh, life is perfect. And I, I just love my life and I love myself. Because no one else can convince you of your worthiness. If you don't ever believe it, you will never believe it. I often use this magnet analogy. When you believe that you're awesome and you believe that your awesomeness comes from God and like that you use those gifts to better the world and you believe that, your magnet's out. And so when people say kind things to you, you can accept it. It sticks. You're like, yeah, I know, right? I'm so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means that I have worth, yeah. right? But then when you have the magnet turned the other way and you do not believe those things, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You repel all of it. Because you don't believe it. Right. And you can't. Your magnet is out. I love that. I mean, that's what it is. So anyway, so yeah, I do think that I had to be in a place where I felt so unloved that I finally came to a place of like, someone in this house has to love me and it, it doesn't feel like him. And, and that, and I know that he has his own pains and his own hurts and he's not really in a place to be that person for me anyway, because he's in his own pain. Yeah. But also 
him, even if he was doing different things, I wasn't believing it. But I think for me, and I think this is true of most of us, we kind of need those things to be in our face to push us to a place where we get, we change. And that was the driving force for me to say, okay, I have to talk differently to myself. I have to look at myself differently. And that began like my baby steps into like the work I do now, because it's night. I mean, I have a long way to go. I was going to say, you know, I love what you're, you're absolutely correct. Marriage is the refiner's fire. So it is not a good idea to jump into a fire without protecting yourself first with some like self-respect, self-love and making sure you're a whole person. Yeah. Like fireproof yourself because it's the refiner's fire in the fact that it is difficult work. It's really hard work. And like being prepared and being a whole person is really, really, really important to like, I think the two of you being able to, I love what you said, creating a life with a partner. Like that's what you want is a partnership that's moving forward and not something that's like filling you up with all the romance and love that like every movie shows you. Okay. I love that. So wrap up. Let's do two. I love it. Uh, Before we move on, I just wanted to remind everybody that there is a conference talk that talks about, and I tried so hard to find it. And I couldn't seem to find it, but there is a conference talk where he talks about that. There is this piece of the command, the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But like we forget that that's part of the commandment to love yourself. So just know that it is a commandment and a general authority said it. So therefore it's truth. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's truth anyway, but yes. <laughs> okay. So number two, the second thing that I felt I learned from this divorce is that marriage and motherhood can't define you. And I know that might, some people might not love that idea, but the thing is, is that if they define you, then what happens if one of those roles goes away or if they don't happen for you this lifetime, like, where does that leave you? It's definitely not going to aid in your self-worth, right? No, it's not. So I feel like for me, what has been really powerful for me is I'm defining my role as a disciple of Christ. And even if I never get married again, which I, I think that I will. I think, I mean, I'm hopeful for that. Right. But even if yeah. I never do, I want to know that I'm fulfilled and that I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a daughter of God. And that that is something that's not going to change because that is eternal. Right. Like my kids could be gone tomorrow. Uh, we don't know. Right. We don't know when we're going to lose people that we love. And if my kids were gone tomorrow and my whole identity was wrapped up on my motherhood, then what? Yeah, And I think some moms might experience this as their kids kind of leave the nest, kind of this transition period of like, well, they don't need me anymore. So then what do I do? And here's the thing. Marriage and motherhood are both important and they are such important jobs for you to have. But they're like hats that you wear. They are like institutions for you to grow and to learn. They don't define you. Right. Because sometimes when we get really caught up in like our kids' behavior is a reflection of us. Then it yes. just, I, for me, it just ends up in this like crazy mind F. Like it's just, I can't do it. Check this out. Marriage and uh, motherhood are a beautiful place. You said are a beautiful place for practice. They can't, they shouldn't define you, but they can refine you. Yeah. Right. Like there are, yeah. there are roles for us to be refined. And I was thinking about this too, because I've thought about spiritual gifts a lot. And like, I think one of our major goals here is to connect our body and our spirit. Like that's a major part of us growing and learning as disciples of Christ and returning to our heavenly father. And like, that's a really good thing for you to be seeking. Like, what are your spiritual goals and how do mm-hmm. if heavenly father wants us to be wives and he wants us to be mothers and he wants us to be husbands and he wants us to be successful at those things. 
how do they aid in what your spiritual goals, your spiritual gifts are? I think one of our major goals is to find that spiritual gift. What was your spirit really good at before you got here? Mm, And like, what are you supposed to be doing with that while on earth? And that will give you, I think, a bigger, a bigger picture, which is really, really, really helpful in a marriage because you always have more purpose. We always want to have, you know, a bigger definition, a, a bigger purpose, where we're going, why we're doing something. I love that. I love that you broke that down like that. Oh, I love, and I love what you just said. I love that we are, you know, really thinking about what, what is our spirit good at? And we focus on those things. Cause if you bring that to your marriage, if you bring that to your motherhood, what a different perspective, right? Because yeah. expecting your spouse or your kids to make you happy is just a recipe for disappointment. No one else can make you happy, right? Like yeah. if this is news to you, friends, they cannot make you happy. I and promise. Sometimes they just really won't. <laughs> And sometimes they are just the opposite. Like, yeah, sometimes they are, are your trial. That's okay. Like, right? Because here's yeah. the thing is even if you're enjoying like a great family fun time together, whatever, what's making you happy is your thoughts about the experience. Yep. Because you're thinking, oh, man, I just love my people. Yeah. And that thought brings you joy, right? Absolutely. So it's not what they're doing. It's what you're saying about what they're doing. So, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's that getting married isn't your happily ever after unless you make it that way. It's all just practice ground. God sent us on earth to be with each other, to annoy each other, and to love each other anyway. Yeah. That is the point. And another thought about this, like, marriage and motherhood not defining you. But I love you said it can refine you. And it's supposed to. Moving to number three. Okay. Yeah. So this one is kind of loaded for me. And I was had, I had a hard time even knowing how to label it. But learning to trust your own gut and your own intuition is really really important. I had compromised myself my entire life. And so I have a lot of stuff around making big decisions or like trusting my own intuition. Cause I, I betrayed myself over and over and over. I, like I mentioned before, I had, you know, done things with other young men that I didn't feel comfortable with, but I wanted their approval. But even beyond that, there were just lots of things I said and did that I was uncomfortable with, but I didn't feel worthy to speak up. And so therefore that affected my trusting myself and accepting myself and learning to understand my own voice inside my head, which I know is the spirit speaking to me. Right. But I I didn't trust that relationship. In what ways do you feel like you didn't necessarily honor that gut drive? And this is actually something Julie and I talked about in preparation for this. So my first marriage, we had met in my mission and he was my best friend. I wasn't necessarily attracted to him. I wasn't even thinking about that, right? Like that was not right. my- You're a missionary. My, I was a missionary and I was just yeah. really enjoyed this person. And we had a lot of fun together. He made me laugh and we, we just had a good relationship. That's what I felt about it. And then like the last week of my mission, he tells me all these things. He, without saying, I love you, he tells me he loves me. And my first thought was like, you couldn't wait a week? Yeah. Like we're going home in one week and then you could talk about those things. But right now this isn't really appropriate. But then I felt put on the spot because I was like, well, I do really care about him. And that's flattering that like, despite my horrible missionary haircuts and my horrible missionary clothes, like, (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but like people in Illinois that I went to for haircuts, bless you, but like it was bad. It was was real bad. 
Exactly. You are always beautiful, might I add. But listen, we all have those. I got some pictures. Wow. <laughs> some bad haircuts. Sure. I mean, it was it was bad. Okay. And I'm wearing grandma clothes. Like, come on. I'm a missionary. Yeah, so like, missionary I'm not, like, clothes have gotten significantly better. Oh, 100%. I'm yeah. very jealous. I'm not going to lie. I, I need to work on that jealousy because I'm like, they have phones. They don't have to wear nylons. Like, <laughs> all the things. Oh, my gosh. They made you wear nylons. Nylons. What in the world. In humidity. Thank oh. you very much. Yeah, it was atrocious. Who can even feel the spirit with those things strangling your body? I mean, I, it's just <laughs> difficult. I had a bonfire and I burned all of them right before I came oh, home. What a joyful day. It was joyful. <laughs> Be like, you know what? These, I'm out. Yeah. And I haven't worn nylon since. Well, because who does anyway? But it was flattering to have someone express this love and interest in me despite like all these things that I was defining as like, oh, I'm so gross right now. I'm so ugly right now, whatever. Like, I really loved myself. I felt really powerful in like my spirituality. And I felt so good that I was serving and focusing on Christ. And I felt really good in those ways. But did I feel like hot? No. <laughs> right. So it was flattering. So that was kind of my first thing was like, well, why did you have to do it right now? Like, why couldn't you wait? And then even after that, he had moved down to Utah and expressed like wanting to get married. And I kind of had this thought, like, well, everyone says, like, you should marry your best friend. But none of those things matter if it's against your own intuition. Yeah. And I had this thought of, like, I don't know. And I told him I wasn't sure. And he got really upset. Well, Mm -hmm. I moved down here. I'm like, well, I didn't ask you to. Yeah. And it was frustrating. And, again, this is a person that I haven't seen in a long time. But I do love and care about him. And I get that, like. That might have triggered some stuff for him. It might have been painful for him. And he didn't know how to handle that, right? Yeah. So, and then I went to the temple. So, like, oh, I should go to the temple. But I was so not practiced at receiving revelation that I went to the temple. And I was like, okay, Heavenly Father, like, should I marry this guy? And I felt peaceful. But I was in the temple. Of course, I felt peaceful, right? Like, it was not necessarily. And looking, and I didn't realize that at the time. But looking back, I was like. Willie, was that an answer to my prayer or was it just that I was in a very peaceful place? Right. Because I didn't know. I didn't know how to recognize the spirit. I didn't know how to recognize God talking to me. Like that was not something I felt confident. I do now. And I'm, again, I have room to grow, but I have much more confidence to like really feel that divine inspiration. I didn't then. So there was some things that came up and even our wedding day, he was really late to the temple. And I kind of had this thought, but I shoved it all down because I was like, nope. You should marry your best friend. My family wants this. You know, I had all these things in my head like this needed to happen. And yeah. here's the thing is that I also think Heavenly Father was like, look, I love both of these humans. And Annie might be an opportunity for him to heal and to grow. And he might be an opportunity for Annie to heal and to grow. So sure, try it out. See how it goes, right? I mean, right. it was bad from the get-go. And <laughs> Julie was through all of that. Lots of hard and painful things from that one. But it's just the fact that, like, if we are seeking the spirit for the right path, we don't need to get hung up on timelines. Like, there's no perfect age to get married. Because I ran into that a little bit my second marriage. I was 29 and kind of felt this, like, push to get married again and to have children. And, and while that's a great desire to get married and have children, again, not at the cost of your intuition. I do think I was supposed to marry my second husband. I do. Because I feel like, one, those babies need to come to this earth. And secondly, there was lessons I had to learn. And I think this was the best way for me to learn it. As painful as it was, I do think it needed to happen. I think that being able to look back, no matter what you're going to, you, 
you want to honor the choices you made. I think it's good though also to go, Hey, you know what? Um, I made those choices, but also let me give you a little bit of advice that like, you might not have to be through that same situation. So I think it's okay. I think we can honor and love like, and what I mean by that is like, one of the things you said is like, there should not be a timetable. Like we have this pressure put on us in the church. And I don't even think it's like always from above. I think parents get really, really worried about our children. The years from like 18 to 26 are like, we're all crazy brained, you know, and it's like, right. Our brains are, are for sure still developing. <laughs> yeah. These are the years we're supposed to make a very critical decision about our future. And like, right. And you can feel a lot of pressure. Like I know even during our time period, like you were 21, like, I'm sorry, Annie, but that is an old maid. You oh, correct. You know, right? like, oh, I guess I'll go on a mission. I mean, you wanted to serve a mission, but there are people who that was, well, like I'm not married. So I'll go on a mission and then they come back and, there's a lot of pressure to feel like you're an old maid. And so I think we want to like, also just say like, listen, trust that the, like the timeline will happen. God will lead you. Keep living your truth, trusting your gut. I think no matter what you are such a fantastic person that these marriages, you are absolutely right. I believe the Lord gives us all possibility for all possibilities any of these could have even ended differently for a myriad of like, if some other choices had happened or something else happened. And on the flip side, you could have all of the right decisions, right? Done all the right things. And someone still gets their free agency and still makes a mess and a divorce still happens. Yeah. So, but I just think like, we also just want to take off that pressure of like, be thoughtful, trust your own gut. One of the things you said in here is like, watch what they're you like what your family is saying trust that your family kind of has your back right right and I and I do think that there's something to be said for if there's people around you who have like concerns I'm not saying that we should take again I'm also not going to say to honor that over your own gut just be willing to hear what they're saying because there might be some truth to it because there were yeah. several of my relationships that several people around me were like Julie being one of them like yeah I mean I know about this (laughs) I can think at least about two two of your relationships that like one of them I was pretty adamant and and at least voiced like well you know but I could also see you not honoring yourself throughout that relationship and so and listen every single one of us have I been through at least one relationship where we did not honor ourselves properly and we allowed the situation to make us someone we didn't feel like we really were. And that's the yeah. thing is like, don't marry that person. That's your goal too. You know what I mean? Like, sure. And by the yeah. way, Annie <laughs> did not marry the person that I'm talking about that I'm specifically thinking of. Yeah. There were two that, and well, and one of them, it was this one I was engaged to, right? Yes. Yes. I was engaged to I'm someone, you guys, uh, you guys, please love me. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not seeking your approval. Just kidding. <laughs> Just please know that I have a have a pattern here. And I'm only saying that I'm being open about that so that if any of you feel like you might have a pattern, that you're not alone in that. That if you've done something and maybe done it again and maybe done it again, that you're not alone. That I have multiple relationships where I did not honor myself, where I betrayed myself over and over. Granted, each one of them was slightly better in some way. But the core of it was still there, that I was seeking for them for approval, and I was 
not honoring the things that were coming up for me. And I betrayed myself so many times that of course, by the time I got to my late twenties, I wasn't really sure how to really understand myself. So of course I go through a seven year marriage where like, I'm not really honoring myself because I had trained myself to not. So of course not. Right. So yes, the, there was a guy I was engaged to before I even got married the first time. I know I am so classy, (laughs) but this one, it was, and Some again, of us could only get proposed to once, Annie. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this girl in all her glory. I do recognize looking back, like he had so much pain and there was so many hard things he was going through, but that doesn't mean it was mine to fix. Right. And it doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying? Like those beliefs can coexist. I can love and care about this person and know that they're hurting and I can decide that that's not a healthy relationship for me. Absolutely. And that was something I really had to figure out, especially on that one was like, once I found out more of his history or whatever, I was like, I want to be here. I want to help. But then it was like, but what is it costing me? And I didn't ask myself that at the time. What's it costing me? I just threw myself in. And that was one where like family and friends were like, I don't know. This is a good idea. You know, there are things that we're going to make excuses for because we love this person. So if you find yourself making an excuse Maybe just write it down and go, is this like an excuse that like five years in, I'm still like willing also like I'm to like negotiate and learn and grow with them through this. I also think if there's red flags, like if the person is coming from trauma themselves, like you're going to find people, obviously all of us have trauma from our childhood and to varying degrees, but like, how does that person respond to that trauma? Does that right. person seek, you know, outside? Are they getting counseling? Is it something they want to work through? Is it something they want to learn and grow? Well, that that removes the red flag, right? But if the person is like, no, I'm fine. I don't do Well, red flag's there. So, like, don't see the sure. trauma and feel like that means you have to run. Everyone's going to have trauma. But at the same time, what's their approach? What's their approach to the trauma? And those yeah. are the things... Or if you look at them and you don't really like the way that they treat their friends or he seems to have or she seems to have like not really stable relationships with a career or a job or, you know what I mean? Like delving into those rather than like, but I love him so much and I think we'll work it out and we can figure it out. Like sit with the red flag a little bit longer. Sure. Don't dismiss it right away because you have these like physical attraction goggles on, which I did. And I've even talked about, like, people have asked me, even at this stage, like, because it is really tricky to date post-divorce and not have sex, right? Like, it's difficult yeah. because it's a whole different ball game from when, like, you were young and you didn't know about that. And it, like, seemed really cool, but you had no experience right. to coming to now where, like, you spent years in a place where it was okay. Yeah. And the floodgates were open. And now you're like, oh, reversing back. Like, it's tricky, right? But what I've told people, and I feel very strongly about this, is that, I'm going to hold off as long as I possibly can with any kind of physical because I know for myself, I'm a lot better than I used to be. But I do think that there is a piece that when we start to get that physical piece going, it can put some blinders up. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, but it can. And for me, I don't want to get caught up in, oh, well, there's like this high and this rush of like that physical attraction to then not be open and honest about the things that may not be working. And again, this isn't a judgment of them. This isn't a, they're a bad person. It's, is this something that I can handle? Is this something that we can work on together? And like you said, it's a responsibility there. What, what you're showing is, you know, you too. 
if yeah. you are if you love yourself and if you're good with yourself, then you're not going to make those compromises anyway because you're not because here's the thing I've realized too is that it's living in a scarcity mentality. And that's what I did for years. Yes. Well, if I let this one go, I'll never get married again. Like I hung this on for a lot longer than I should thing. have. Yeah, this is yes. the timeline thing you're talking about. Right. Scarcity well, mentality. We are outnumbered in the church and this is something that people like there's a scarcity mentality. Let me tell you. Do not live your life in a scarcity mentality when it comes to men. You only need one, guys. You right, you just one. need if one. It's the one you're waiting for and it works out and you are you are living your best life until like that guy comes. Let me tell you, the scarce you're you will find abundance with the one rather than the like, you know. No, for sure. And that and that did make me kind of hang on to things longer than I probably you know, because I wanted to be with someone so badly yeah. that I was willing to sacrifice Scary. all these other things and it's understandable, but it was painful and it was painful for them too. Like it was, I was then doing things that were painful to them because I wanted to hang on like sure. with a death grip. Right. Yeah. And there's a scripture in DNC 98 too, that says waiting patiently on the Lord. And I remember when I listened to Melanie Stroud's um, podcast episode about this topic and she talked about, she thought of it as like waiting tables, not like waiting in a waiting room, like waiting tables like while I'm while I'm waiting for this opportunity to come like right now I'm waiting for this opportunity to get married again and create a a blended family while I'm in this space how can I serve God how can I serve people around me I'm not just gonna sit you know gripping my hand to the rod like you know patiently wait like that's not that's not the kind of waiting I want to be doing I want to be serving I want and I like that idea that while you're waiting for this thing you really want to have how are you serving? How are you showing up? How are you waiting tables for the Lord? And I like that. Yeah. I like that too. That's really great. Well, and another piece about this learning to trust your own gut is that even all throughout a relationship, you might have these things come up. They're like, Oh, you know what? That doesn't really sit right with me. But, and I did that many, many times in all of my relationships where I was like, well, that doesn't feel right. But like, what do I know? My parents had a terrible marriage. My grandparents had a terrible marriage. Like, what do I know about what good marriages look like? And there's these other pieces that are good. And there's these other pieces that I like. So maybe I just have to kind of deal with this because nobody's perfect. And yes, that again, I felt like that was a little, a little snag and a little like trip up for me with this, with Satan, because of course nobody's perfect. But that doesn't mean that I should then totally disregard like a huge problem. So basically, as I was going through these relationships, I was disregarding the things that were coming up in my mind because I was like, oh, well, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Well, of course not. But that doesn't mean that some of these behaviors weren't okay. Like even from the very beginning, I did see a small piece of my ex-husband's anger and and you got to know that, like, I think he's an amazing human and that he has so many good qualities. But this anger was a really big deal. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that at the time. And as we went through our relationship, it became a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. Um, and I'll talk more about that in this next one. But my point is that there were so many times that and really it wasn't fair to him. I was not honoring myself. And so I created so many more problems within the relationship because I wasn't speaking up, because I wasn't setting boundaries. I wasn't saying, hey, I don't like that for this reason or whatever, or even just I disagree. I didn't feel safe to disagree, which, again, is my own stuff, right? 
I created more problems than a relationship because I wasn't trusting myself. And even like with our roles, we kind of just fell into these like traditional roles. We didn't really have like a really good conversation about it. And there became this resentment between us. He resented me. I resented him. Like it was both sides of resentment. Right. And it created even more problems, just compacted upon each other. If we just really had sat down and been like, Hey, this is what it looks like to me. And this is what would feel good to me. And this would work for me. What about you? And if he's like, this is what works for me. And this is what I want to do. And you know, we could have come as a partnership. We never really had a partnership and that's on both of us. Sure. We didn't do that. And we also, we didn't know, we didn't know, right? Like we're just doing the very best of the information we have at the time. And that's, what we did. But my point is that even throughout the relationship, not just picking the relationship all throughout it, I wasn't trusting my own intuition. I was betraying myself over and over and over again. And it created a lot of problems for me and for him. I just love it. I just feel like you're being so vulnerable, accepting the responsibility and like, that's hard. So for sure. And actually that's perfect segue because the next one is I am responsible for my own actions, feelings, and responses. And girl, look at you. You are perfection. Very good. I mean, come on. But really, and here's the thing is that I need to preface this with, I am not here to tell anybody else about how they should feel about their unhealthy relationship because wherever you're at is wherever you're at on your journey. And that is 100% okay. And I am not here to judge anybody about how they feel about their ex or whatever, but I just know that I had to get to a place where I had to figure out how to be responsible for me, regardless of what he said or did. And I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that, that tool or that skill so, I'm, again, I'm for sure not saying I'm perfect at it. I've come a long way, but I really had to learn these lessons in the marriage and then learning what it was like to divorce someone and, like, have this horrific divorce to understand that no matter what someone else says or does, it's their stuff. And I right. know that is, like, in theory, is like, oh, yeah, it's their stuff. But to practice it is so effing hard. The truth but it's is possible. That- the truth is that still, even in marriage too, like I'm constantly having to do this or we create the same problem over and over and over again. Sure. Like if I'm not really willing to like accept what part I had to do in it. And I also think it's such a detriment because there's so much pain and there's so much hurt involved in divorce. We want to just like build a giant wall against like to protect ourselves and go like, oh my gosh, that was so painful. It was so, 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 so painful. And we, and we neglect the growth and the challenge, like the growth and the building that you can have as a person that then hopefully leads you into a healthier marriage the next time. Cause there's no, in, in any situation, right. You, you can find your stuff. Like, what did you do? What are the things that you need yes. to learn and grow from? Even if that is trust your gut run, you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. speak to someone, whatever it is. You know, and, and even still like, oh, watch the triggers or any of those things. Like you can be empowered from that and then hopefully have a stronger marriage the next time. But like, yeah, I always feel so worried because what you really have to do is just tear down those walls and go like, oh, they hurt me so bad and I'm hurting so much. But if I don't accept this, like it'll happen again. Like I'll be back in there allowing something else to happen because the growth hasn't happened yet. Totally. And that's what I, right. And that's what I, that's like the wall I had to run into after the second divorce 
I remember laying face down on the floor and crying for so long that I didn't think I could ever stop crying. And I just remember like having this shift into you have to do something different. You've now been through two divorces and this is not two divorces, but like how many unhealthy relationships have you put yourself in this situation over and over again? You're the common denominator. You have to do something different. So I know it can be really hard to know like what is abusive and that word abuse gets thrown around a lot. And honestly, sometimes I don't even love that word because it kind of throws this place of like blame, like almost like if it's abuse, you don't have to look at what you did because we don't ever want like to victim shame, right? Like we like ever. Of course not. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. Like for me, looking at it in a place of like what triggers came up and what was unhealthy about it, because I don't want to be playing a blame game because for me that just, it halts my progress when I'm in a place of blame. Right. So for me, it was like, okay, we triggered each other's traumas hardcore. Like, I triggered him. He triggered me. We were like the perfect trigger match, right? Like (laughs) if you want to put it that way, we were the perfect trigger match. And, but what I've learned so much is that triggers are a gift. They're an opportunity for us to see what we have to heal. Cause again, their stuff is not about us. Like him saying mean things or like throwing things in my face about, you know, my past or, you know, saying these mean, hurtful things. It was about his own pain. It was about his own traumas and his own heartache and I know the things he had been through and I know that they were hard for him and so sometimes that would help to know that but because we were so in the thick of it it was hard for me to really separate those two things and I think it really took walking away from the relationship to then look back on it more and then be able to see that more if that makes sense Uh uh-huh sure I understand now more than I ever have that my stuff is my stuff and that his is his. And that again, it goes back to like, if I had been really confident in myself, I might've been able to see that better, but I wasn't there yet. And I didn't know what I didn't know. So I can't shame or blame myself for not knowing any different that I did then. I was in the thick of it and I was being triggered and we were both in trauma. We were just running around in trauma brain, like all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So of course we're hurting each other. Of course we're like, in this painful place because our trauma is constantly being activated and it was too tricky and we were too thick in it to like see anything different. And that was really painful and hard, especially to know how much it hurt our children. And I have to work really hard to forgive myself for what my kids saw and for the things that I allowed because I know what it did to them and what it's still doing to them. And they're working through it and they're getting better. And this is also something that will be their calling in life to learn how to get through this, right? Because all these things are for our greater good. And I don't think there's mistakes. And I don't think that the things like, I don't think the hard things we go through are just an accident. Like they're there for a purpose. They're there to bring us closer to God. And I know that our painful marriage is something that my kids were called to go through because they're so strong and they're so powerful and my kids are so loving and so incredibly kind to other people. So I know that this wasn't a mistake, that this had to happen this way for all of us to learn a lot of things. And, and in this piece of like being responsible for my own stuff is like, you cannot make the other person want to work on it. It's like we talked about before. Are they willing to see their own part? Are they humble? Yeah. Do they take responsibility? Do they want to change? Because believe me, I believe change is always possible. I do because I believe the atonement 100%. So it's always available if we choose it. So if they're not, 
they're only accountable for their stuff and you're only accountable for yours. So sticking around and waiting for them to decide to want that, if that's what the spirit tells you to do, honor that. But if there is a piece of you that's like, they're not going to change because they don't want to. Yeah. And that might be something to look at. Yeah. And I think that can be in dating or already in the thick of your marriage too. But sure. I just think it's so, it's so powerful to see somebody go through something that painful and then realize that like the most valuable gift you have is to claim responsibility for your own actions, your feelings and responses and move forward from there. Because like, that is where like your children will be blessed. They will be strengthened with you doing that. Cause that yeah. gives you an opportunity to grow, be better, be stronger. I mean, I'm doing that in my own marriage currently too. Like, I just think it's, I think it's vitally important. I think generally speaking, all of us can do a way better job. Even when I sometimes like get mad at Jake, I'll get mad at him about something. And I think to myself, dude, that is my bag. Like I'm actually really <laughs> mad at myself about that. Like I remember I'd gotten to the point where I had gained like a lot of weight and I was like really overweight and I had lots of like little children and my body hurt and like the house was like never getting cleaned. And Jake was going to grad school like 80 hours a week. And I was like, I got mad at him one day. I was like, this house is just ridiculous. I can't stay in here. I have no peace and and you won't help me and, and you won't clean and you don't pick up after yourself. And like, I get into bed that night and I was like, I'm so mad at myself that I'm not capable of cleaning right now. And like, that's not affording me peace, but I projected so much of it on him because I was really upset at myself. And like, there was, there was no value in me placing blame because like, it didn't change anything. It only damaged our relationship, you know, yeah. me being able to go, Julie, this is about you. Like, you're upset that like. You're not where you want to be. You're upset that you're not growing. You're upset that like you're not able to clean the way you want to and you're not feeling peace. But like, so then I was able to see it and get it, forgive him because he hadn't really done anything, you know, sure. and like. And forgive and just, yourself. Yeah. And like get to the place where like, okay, well, where am I going then? What am I going to do? Am I going to either forgive myself and let it go and realize that like that's the stage of life we're in? Or am I going to change and figure it out and like do a better job? Yeah. That's the way you progress. It's never going to be sitting in and being like, well, I lost my marriage because of this and this and this and this and this. And he did this and this and this and this and this. And she treated me this way and she did this and that. All of those things probably are true. They yeah. probably did all those things. You are 100% correct. Like, but we're done now. So now what? So now what, like, where does, where does your progression now begin? Because if, even if all of those things are true, we definitely want to be in a progressive mindset, right? We want to be yeah, for sure. moving forward. Totally. And I, I get asked often about, you know, divorce and different things. And it seems like whenever there's a person who gets divorced, everyone in their circle is like, oh, I could ask them. And that's great. I'm grateful that people want to come talk to me and feel I'm a safe space to talk about divorce. And I often will say, you got to get yourself in a good place and be good to yourself before you make any decisions about any relationship. Because I do believe that one person changing can make a difference. I do. And if you really love yourself and you know how God speaks to you, then I think you'll know what to do. And you can have faith in that. But maybe those are the things you need to work on first. 
Yeah, trusting your gut, not. trusting the spirit, you know, being good to yourself. And then you'll really have a good, clear answer on where to go from there. And the scripture that stuck out to me today as I was going back through my notes was Alma 27, 18. This is joy, which none receiveth, save it be true, the truly penitent and humble seeker of happiness. I love that phrase. Yeah, if you are being a humble seeker of happiness, if you're truly repenting and doing your part, because here's the thing. I want to share a story really quick that just happened on Sunday, which really taught me so much more about what it means to be penitent and to be repentant. Because I know we have this repentance process for mistakes we've made, right? And sin, things that we have gone against the commandments or whatever. That is so true. But there's also this other piece. So for those who are close to me know that right now I'm going through a lot with my son and with school and trying to figure out what the next right steps are and working with my ex-husband on where we're going to go next with school. And it has been painful and hard and so much stuff has come up. Yeah. And I've been praying and praying and praying and I'm usually getting pretty good at like hearing answers. And I was getting really confused and I was like, okay, this is not like me. This is not like my relationship with the spirit. So what's going on? And I started kind of writing it down to focus my brain, like asking my questions that I'm praying about and try to feel the answer. And I wrote down this one option that I felt pretty good about. And I got a no. And I was like, why is it a no? Like, that's not bad. And mm. even if it's just a temporary solution, but I got this no and I got really frustrated. I had been in my scriptures for over an hour. It was Saturday night and I just put them away. I said, okay, I don't understand, but I have faith that I will. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning on Sunday, I was reading and studying and asking for these answers. And I felt this overwhelming the reason it's a no is because you're so married to this idea you are unwilling to see anything else huh and because you're so afraid you can't see anything else and I felt this overwhelming like I'm living in fear I'm living in scarcity and then I hadn't even realized how much fear I had about sending him back to school and the floodgates just came open of like I'm so afraid to let him be away from me to be out of my protection yeah. But the thing is, is that it wasn't bad or wrong. Of, uh, understandably, I'm scared. They've had some right. really bad experiences, right? Like, yeah, and hard. I love him and I'm his mom and I want to protect him. Like, none of these fears are bad, but they are blocking me from seeing what God can do. Right. So I had to repent of my fear because I had to let it go. Repentance is also just letting it go and letting there be space for God. And it was so powerful for me to understand that that repentance process is not a punishment. It's a place for us to release whatever it is we are hanging on to and let God lead us. Yeah. And to me, that's what a humble seeker of happiness is, is that I'm letting go of all the garbage and I am focusing myself on Christ and on what he can do for me because he knows what to do with Evan. He knows what a good answer might be. But if I'm so hell bent on this answer then I'm not going to hear what else is out there. Yeah. And it was really powerful for me because again, it was, it it goes right back to this. I'm responsible for my own stuff. And it wasn't a shameful process. It was like, Oh, he's asking me to let it go so I can have more. Yeah. That's powerful. That's not shaming. That's not saying, Oh, Annie, you're so terrible for feeling so afraid. And you know better (laughs) than to live in scarcity. You're a life coach. Like I could have gone down that road. Right. But it wasn't that it was, wow, Heavenly Father loves me so much. He's saying, let it go. I've got you. You don't have to be married to this idea. There are other options. 
And it just, it, it was powerful for me to also see how much I've grown in that to know that I don't have to be like that anymore. I don't have to shame myself for the way that I was. It's just a letting go. Yeah. Which is perfect for our next and final key point is that forgiveness is key to your own healing. These triggers that come up, they show us what we need to heal and they give us something to learn and to grow from. And so we're not saying what they did was okay. We're not saying, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want to me because it's for my divine purpose. But just that these things happen, it's like, okay, what can I learn from it? What can I let go of? What can I create space for? And really, after all that was said and done, after all the pain that I went through, after all the things that I believed about myself because of what he said and because of what he did, it was still my choice to believe it. It was my choice to internalize it. It was my choice to live in that space. And I had a lot of friends tell me, Julie included, a lot of friends tell me that I kind of lost me in the process and I wasn't me anymore. And then when I chose to walk away and as I've grown and healed in the past two plus years since this divorce, I've heard often from friends, I see Annie again. I see your light again. I see you again. Yeah. And it's not because, oh, he's this terrible person and now I'm better without him. It's more the fact that I have forgiven him. I've forgiven me because his pains and actions, they're not about me. He's in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. It wasn't about us being bad people. We're people that were hurting and didn't know how to do anything different. That's all it is. And I heard this, um, this thought in a Sunday school class. They said the whole forgiving 70 times 7. It's not a tally. 7 represents wholeness. So that's what forgiveness gives us is a wholeness. It's not that we have this, this is the amount of times you got to forgive. No, we forgive always because it represents this wholeness for us. And they also said, and this really struck me, if we aren't forgiving someone, we aren't forgiving Christ because he stepped into their place, just like he stepped into yours, he stepped into mine. So he's the one that took those sins on. So we're not forgiving him. And that blew my mind. I was like, okay, because I still have things I need to forgive. I still have things about our marriage. I got to forgive and I'm working on it. And I don't think that forgiveness is immediate. No, I mean, listen, forgiveness is the reality is, is if you look at even trauma from childhood or kids in high school or whatever it is, there's forgiveness. You are going to have your whole life that you're going to be working on and trying to like get to a place where you're able to truly forgive. But, and we hear this all the time, but like, those feelings, you harboring any of those feelings does nothing for that person. Like they're not feeling more guilty because you really are still mad at them. They're right. not feeling <laughs> more upset at the situation. You know, they're not walking around being more sorry because you really held them to the fire on this. You know, I'm still totally. mad at you for what you did. They're not any more sorry. So like no. I have seen like people's inability to forgive just eat them alive and it is a blessing us being able to move on and to forgive even if it's to the level of like I'm not gonna allow that to affect my life anymore that's the forgiveness part the wholeness right be coming back to a place of wholeness yes and just going like you are you are your own person I mean half of the stuff sometimes has very little to do with us 
it's like if someone was bullying you in high school, you know, that's that person's problem, right? Same thing you're thinking about in your ex, in your relationship, in the divorce. It's like half the stuff that he was doing has nothing to do with you. It's trauma. Right. And you're the person, unfortunately, it's getting inflicted on, but probably vice versa. Like, we're oh yeah for sure my trauma's got thrown out of him so many times (laughs) yeah and like and the truth is it has very little to do with that other person when you can see that when you can go dude that was me like that and maybe it opens up the ability to kind of go like wow okay yeah you've got a lot of work to do I'm so sorry that must be really hard for you I'm sorry that I became your punching bag about that uh I'm gonna move on because uh my progression forward is more important than like continually browbeating you about it and making sure that you really feel sorry because they may never get to that place right forgiveness cannot be contingent on someone else being sorry it can't no it it can't be it just you it will eat you up and i i man let me tell you i the first six months i was mad i was angry i i felt so betrayed i felt so abandoned which just amplified i felt betrayed and abandoned my whole marriage and then i felt even more of that and it just it was literally eating me up. I, I couldn't do it. I, it was so painful and hard. And sometimes still things come up because we still have to communicate, right? Yeah. And there's sometimes things that still come up. Even recently, it was like, oh, I'm like, okay, you know what? Yeah, Take tricky. a step back and I do my own practices and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm doing some of that on my end. And that's why I'm mad about it. Like, there's just, it's a totally different ball game than it was two years ago. And that's not to mean that we have this like amazing relationship. It's just that we have come to a place of like a peaceful communication. And I, I really want that because I don't want to live in the space where like, I just hate him and I blame him. Cause that, again, like we said, it eats us up. And also it doesn't help anybody. It really doesn't because it's also avoiding like looking at my own stuff Yeah. because I made lots of mistakes. I did lots of things that I wasn't proud of, but yeah. again, I only, you know, what you know, and that's all I knew to do at the time. Cause I felt so desperate forgiveness is a power stance like yeah you taking back your power it's the like superman pose that you do for five minutes yeah go into like (laughs) your first job interview like it is you taking your power back it's going i don't want to live still so hurtful to me that i still feel pain and anger i want to get to a point where like those were just giant like steps that I put in place to get me to my power stance, like to get me to a place where like, and I think this is like across the board for most people, but like clearly in marriage and divorce guys, like it is critical. I think about my relationship with my parents. Like that is, it's critical letting those things go and going, okay, that's what happened. Yeah. Who am I and what am I doing this with now? A person who is capable of doing that will be powerful. You become powerful in yeah. your ability to forgive and go, that's you. And that's unfortunate that that's where you're at right now. I'm not going to stay there because that doesn't make me feel strong and powerful. And like pushing forward, like, man, like you've met those people. Every single one of us have met one of those people. We're talking to Annie right now. Like I've seen it. That makes you a powerful person. Talk about going from like victim, victim, unfortunately, like in every sense, like the person is demeaning you and making you small and pushing you and or victimizing, right? Like literally in the exact sense of the word, talk about 
the ability to overcome that, right? Like that is a power stance and it is powerful in the like moving on and growing and forgiveness and going, I'm out. I'm not right. And that we can have love for that. That's because again, we're just allowing like love to be in the space. Yeah. I don't have to want to be around you. I don't have to trust you, but I can have this like release and this like love for you as a human being because it, it, that only benefits me. There's a scripture that um, I was actually reading this morning that I wanted to add in about this forgiveness piece. So first Nephi 17, three, if the children of men keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. And this is actually the first time it just, it stuck out to me in my scripture study. And I was like, I need to include that about forgiveness because I hadn't thought of it in that way that we love the scripture. Everyone loves first Nephi. A lot of people never get past first Nephi, right? Like or we read first <laughs> we Nephi a hundred times. times. Right? We love first I've Nephi. I've read that scripture at least 40 times. Right. We like have it memorized. So, but this scripture like stuck out to me in the sense of like, okay, we know that he provides means to accomplish the thing. He has commanded us to forgive. So if that's the case, he will provide the means for you to do that. If you yeah. go to him, you're like, listen, I know I need to forgive them and I am struggling. I'm on the struggle bus. I need your help. He can help nourish you, strengthen you and provide those means. He will help you. So whatever it is in your life that you're like, I just can't let it go. I promise you, you can. Yeah. God has promised you that he will help you for your benefit. Yeah. Cause they can still keep being an idiot or whatever. Right. Like yeah. they will still be them. Cause we're all learning and we're all growing and we're all trying to figure out this life. So it doesn't change that maybe what they do is, you know, maybe something you're not happy with or whatever, but you can still find peace. That's what forgiveness is about is you finding peace. That's it. Yep. Um, okay. So to wrap up today, I, first of all, I want to thank you, Julie, for being the safe space for me to talk about all this and to be vulnerable in this space and to talk about these things and to share what I've learned in the hopes that I can inspire others to find a way to utilize these tools that it is possible that these things are possible and they're possible because of Christ. They just are. I want to close up to with this scripture from Mosiah 24 verses 13 through 14. I have gone back to the scripture through just about every trial I've been through and it has been like my go-to. It says, lift up your heads and be of good comfort. For I know of the covenant which ye have made unto me, and I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. And I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while they are in bondage. And this will I do, that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. I'm going to break this down. Lift up your head. Be comforted. Know that I am here with you. Know that I will ease the, I will lift this crap up off your back. Yeah. You don't even have to feel it while you're in it. They didn't get released from bondage right away, but they still felt peace while it was happening. Right. I'm, I'm divorced. That is something I'll be dealing with till my dying day because we'll be grandparents together. Right. Like this is something, it won't be as heavy as it is right now. And it won't be as like involved as it is right now. But the point is, is that that's something I'll be dealing with the rest of my life, right? Mm-hmm. I have an autistic son. That's not going away. Right. He is going to have that the rest of his life. And there is a sort of bondage for him in certain ways, physically for him to have those things and for us to work through them. 
But I know of a surety that God visits his people. And this is why he gives us these things. So that we can stand up and say to other people, I know. I know God visits us in our afflictions. He is there with us every step of every crappy thing we have to go through. And if you haven't found him yet, go find him. He is there. He's waiting for you. He will help you. I could not, could not have gotten through the last two years without him. I have been on my knees and begged for help every day. And he has shown up and shown up and shown up. And I have two full gratitude journals about all the miracles that I have seen the past two years. And so I am so grateful for this marriage. I'm so grateful for this divorce. I'm so grateful for my children because it has been training ground for me to learn to love myself and to love other people and to love God even better. I just love you so much. And I'm so grateful for you doing this. I'm grateful for you listeners. I love you. Thank you for being here. Seeing that you guys are listening to these episodes gives me life. I'm so grateful for you sharing, for, you know, sending beautiful feedback. It means the world to me. I just want to just say again one more time that I know Christ lives and I know that he is a living Christ because I feel him and because he has been there for me and he has held my hand through every step of this pain. So thank you for being here and we will see you next week. Love you. If you want to learn more about how to use gospel principles to strengthen your relationships, I'm a relationship coach, and I would be honored to work with you. Contact me through Instagram at HeyAnnieJoy or my website, AnnieJoy.com.